Okay, uh, I'm going to read something out of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. If you have your app, that's cool too. Although the people with the actual printed Bible are the more holy ones in the room. <laughs> Boo. Grab your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4. Don't worry, you don't have to listen to me tonight. Andy Rogers is still coming. You don't have to throw anything at me. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why did Jesus give those people? Why did he give those gifts? Why did he give the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers? There we go, thank you. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, this is a beautiful passage of scripture that describes our loving Heavenly Father giving gifts to his children, that's us, giving gifts. And what those gifts are, are uniquely gifted men and women to be able to equip the saints, that's us, for works of ministry. Okay, Andy's with us tonight. I genuinely believe Andy's got an apostolic call in his life. And what apostle means, it just means sent one. It means, you see all through the scriptures, Jesus has his 12 apostles. Andy's not a 12 apostle. He's not one of the 12, okay? He didn't write Bible. He didn't, he didn't spend time with the resurrected Jesus, but he has a unique gift in his life. And, and there's a unique fruit that comes out of him operating in his gift to see new churches started, sent, right? Mission gospel going forward, and also to protect and guard the gospel, to protect good, solid biblical doctrine. Okay, if you guys have been with us at any time, you've gotten to meet Andy. He's one of my closest friends in the world. I trust him. I love him like a brother. He knows me inside and out. He knows my strengths, but he knows the plethora of my weaknesses. <clears throat> this is a man who genuinely, I'm not just saying this, he genuinely loves this church. Um, it, let's just get practical for a second. Uh, between the between Restored Uptown, which is in San Diego, and Restored LA and Restored South Bay, they fund us currently even. They fund us at about 75%, uh, maybe 80%. So they're not just like a distant, cool, we're here to like love you, and we'll, maybe we'll send, we'll come up and you know help with stuff. Um, they genuinely are putting their money where their mouth is. LA especially drives, they're here tonight, they drive two hours each way just to watch our kids so that all of us can be present in the room. We don't pay them. They genuinely, out of their love that they have for us and people that they probably don't even know you, I'm sure that some of you guys have connected with them a little bit, but they love us. Andy and I, <clears throat> uh, we met, gosh, in 2012, and long story short, God knit our hearts together. Same dream and desire to see the church um, live out and express itself in a beautiful biblical way, especially in Southern California. Um, so Ebony and I joined up with him and his wife under their leadership to plant the very first restored church. And like I said, this guy's like a brother to me. I promise you, you'll enjoy him. Would you give him a round of applause as he's going to share and open the word with us tonight? And he's very, very well-dressed, I have to say. You look good. Let me pray for you, okay? <clears throat> um, God, thank you for the gifts that you give us. Um, I was listening to uh, some music um, yesterday, actually, last night. And I, it was, I just remember having this feeling, God, that like, you really have given so much um, 
of yourself through your creation, so much of yourself into people, through people, that like we have so much to be thankful for. You've blessed us with so much that we don't even give you credit for. Like I think about even specific songs that matter to me. I think about food that pleases me. I think about relationships especially where you have demonstrated your love for me through people. And I thank you for Andy. I thank you um, that you've saved him. I thank you that you've reconciled him to yourself. And I thank you that his response to that is to worship you. His response to that is to sow seeds of grace um, into the lives of the people that you've called him to. I thank you that we get to be in relationship with him. I thank you um, for your grace. And, and Spirit, I pray that you'd fill him now to minister to us. And I pray that uh, for each kind of, um, each heart and mind and set of ears in the room, that you'd kind of open us up to the things that you have for us this evening. Our desires to experience you, Jesus. As much as Andy is a gift to us, um, he really is just a reflector. We want to see and experience your glory, Jesus. That's why we're here. So we love you. We posture our hearts to receive from you. And we expect, because of your character and because of your goodness, that you will pour out your grace on us tonight. Use Andy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, love you. Hey, guys. If you guys have about, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. And as Tom said, we, uh, when we planted the first restored church uh, about five, five and a half years ago now, uh, in Uptown, um, I think that, and, I, and I've talked to a lot of church planters now, a lot of young church planters, and I think when you plant a church, oftentimes, especially when you're young, you go, um, I want to have a church, and uh, I don't want to do it right. Uh, I want to finally, and the reason it'll be right is because I'll be in charge, right? Uh, and, and you kind of think, man, I, I want a service that's going to be better because I'll be preaching. And, uh, and, and you can kind of come at it that way where you go, man, I'm starting kind of a service. And, uh, and one of the things I've realized... Uh, very quickly in planting uh, our church was uh, foolish ambition and, and, and pride aside. Um, you don't start a service, you start a, a family. That God's desire for the church is that it would be a family. I remember um, about 10 years ago, I was in a small group, kind of Bible study type thing, gospel community type thing. And uh, there's a guy in our group, uh, and his name was Ricardo, and he was from the Dominican Republic. And uh, long story short, he was about 21 years old. He was in the United States Marine Corps. And he, we're getting ready, and, and, and uh, we had like, a, I think one of the girls in the group was very organized, and she said, I want a list of everyone's um, name and, uh, and their birthday and their favorite foods and all that type of stuff, and I want to encourage us to love each other. And, uh, and his birthday was in like a week. And we're like, dude, you didn't tell us your birthday was coming up. And he's like, well, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's the day I was born. I said, you know, but like, what do you want to do for your birthday? And, and, and Ricardo just said, what do you, what do you mean? And, and we said, no, like, what are we going to do? And Ricardo said, oh, I've, never, I've never had a birthday before. I've never had a birthday party. I don't, I, I don't really know. And uh, we just said, that's, that's crazy. We're having a party, uh, Ricardo. And, uh, and so we just decided, man, um, we're doing this. And we, the way he grew up, where he was from, there was never a birthday celebration for him. We said, dude, we're going to celebrate him. And, uh, and so that night, I remember, um, it was a college small group. We pulled together about $800 in a week to buy this guy presents. And uh, someone made a cake, and, uh, and we sang out loud to him for the first time in his entire life, uh, happy birthday. And he's he crying. And, uh, and I was just thinking that as this guy has walked through life, he has never um, had a space. And as I got to know more of his story, this was true. He's never had a space where he was, he was known and loved and supported. He, he, I think oftentimes as human beings, we walk around and we think, man, if people knew the real me, they wouldn't love me. I'm too jacked up. I'm too broken. The lying, 
the anger, the lust, the cheating, the, the addiction, whatever it is that you have, the abortion, the thing in your past. You go, this is just too much. They knew the real me. They wouldn't love me. Or we go, well, they love me, but it's because they don't know me. And then the gospel, which is what this Galatians is all about, that we realize that Jesus died for everything that is broken and sinful and wicked and gross about us. And he's given us a new identity. And then from that new identity, we are now, Galatians 4, we now have a father who adopts us into his family. And that father goes, the way that you come into this family is by admitting how broken you are and you receive my pardon, you receive my cleansing, you receive my welcome that you don't deserve, that Jesus died to give you. And because of that, it's safe to talk about what's really going on with you. It's a safe family to be known and loved and uh, supported. And, and so the reality is, is that, that churches are families that gather around Jesus, their big brother Jesus and their father in heaven and the power of the Holy Spirit. And they draw, God uses that to draw men and women to himself. There, there is space for, for orphans to come home, spiritual orphans to come home. They're not buildings, they're not country clubs, they're not businesses, they're families. And, uh, and again, I think uh, if you guys have ever heard of something called the church growth movement, it was kind of big in the last 30 years, kind of waned out lately, kind of a big deal with the, the baby boomers, did a really good job evangelizing uh, baby boomers and, and stuff like that. Um, kind of the mega church movement. And one of the things that, that the church growth movement said was, um, that one of the big ideas was that you can learn a lot from the business world about how to run a church. And, uh, and again, I think there's some truth to that. I think um, in terms of scheduling and finances and getting organized and stuff, like even families uh, sh should have a level of organization. Um, this yesterday, uh, my son's on a basketball team and there's like a lot of drama with our basketball league. And long story short, at the last minute, our game got changed from 11 a.m. to 9 a.m. And I didn't, I didn't get that. It was verbally communicated and not, not in the greatest way. And we got to the basketball game at 11. My kids are ready to go. Compression pants, nice shoes on, ready to go. They're looking basketball fresh. And their cousin's like, the game was at nine. <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, what? And it was 11, we missed the game. And so even a family needs a space to be organized, to love each other. They're crushed, you know? And if dad had listened a little closer to the little parent uh, scrum the night before at practice, I would have got, oh, it got changed back to, to whatever. And so families even need to be a little bit organized. But that being said, um, churches aren't businesses. They really are families. Families are, families are different than businesses. For example, in families, uh, we sh there should be a culture of grace. In a business, there's a culture of performance. And I know not every business is run this way, but generally, um, there, there's just a, a necessity to perform in a business. If you own a business and you're not good at running your business, it will fold. Or if you work in a business and you're not good at your job, eventually you're going to get let go. But, but in the family, there's a culture of grace. There's a culture of safety to learn and grow into who you are, because the thing that makes you a part of a family is the identity you have, not the, the function you perform. And so my family, my daughter, uh, says a few weeks ago, my, my daughter uh, said her first word about a year ago, and she said milk, but she didn't say milk. She said mook, and mook is a sloppy way to say milk. It is not the best version of the word milk I've ever heard anyone utter. Uh, utter cows, that's kind of funny. Ah, it's real time, uh, real time joke in there. And when she said it, my boys were jumping up and down. She said, milk. I'm like, dude, she said, we're like, say it again. And we get the phone out. We're filming. And they're excited. Why? Because she's my daughter and she's their sister. And her big brothers are proud of her. And I'm proud of her. And her mom is proud of her. We are pumped because we're family. So at our church, we let people preach their very first sermon on a Sunday morning with 150 people. We don't go, hey, you know, hang out. do the, the. Why? Because we're a family. And, I, and, and literally, when those people preach for the first time, I say, listen, uh, this is going to be the best sermon you've ever heard. I say that. Not in a demeaning way. It's their first sermon. I've preached hundreds of sermons. I'm just better. 
not in a braggy way, it's just true. Um, but you know what? I also say it's an honor to be here. My boys talk better. They say milk better than her, but it was a big moment because it was her first words and she's gonna grow up into someone who says many important words throughout her life. And then the same way I'll say, I'll say man, I believe this, this, this man will lead a church one day. And so it's an honor to be here for these, this first sermon, even if it's not the greatest sermon of all time. What an honor to be here for the Holy Spirit using them in this way for the first time. And so performance versus grace. Um, in a business, or if, if, if the church is a business, kind of a store you go to to get spiritual religious goods, uh, when you come in, then uh, that means you consume the church, right? And, and that happens, right, with, with, with store. Kind of, uh, also, another thing is uh, it, it's a temporary relationship where you consume. So you go, and I'm going to go look for the best deal. Who's got the best kids ministry? I know some people, I used to do this. I won't talk down to people. Uh, when I was in college, I went to one church for the worship because they had insane music. And then I went to one church for the preaching because it was fun. And I went to another church because they had a Bible study on Wednesday night. And it was like in depth. And I just used the church. It's like, oh, I go to this store. I go to Trader Joe's uh, for snacks. Uh, I go to Bottle Craft for craft beer. Uh, I go to Target for cheap t-shirts when I don't care about fast fashion, slow fashion. I, I, right? I, I just bounce around and, and just grab stuff at different places. That's how we work with our cons- consumption, and the minute you find a better deal, you leave. Better kids ministry with a bigger rock wall and a crazier laser show, a cooler waterfall to pray next to. But if it's a family, we all contribute. We're not just there to consume. It's a family. And I can go on and on and on. Um, but the big idea is this, is, is the church is not a business, it's a family. Um, Galatians 4, the fathers adopt us into the family over 100 times in the New Testament. Uh, the word for church is, is, is uh, the household or the family of God. Hands down, the most dominant metaphor by dozens of appearances. There are other metaphors, body, bride, army, priesthood, all that stuff. Uh, but, 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 but family's the big one. And it's not because Paul was an uneducated heathen who didn't understand economics and business. There are business metaphors used in the New Testament, like redemption and ransom. This was, the New Testament was written during the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, and when the Romans' roads were built and the first rule of global economy took off. But it's not a business, it's, it's a family. So it being a family, um, in 1 John 3.23, I just want to read this real quick and then we'll dive in. Um, sorry, this is taking longer than I thought it would. I will cut out my third point. Don't you guys worry. 1 John 3.23 says this. You'll have to turn there. It's not in slides. I didn't tell the guys. I'm sorry. It says, and this is his commandment. I want you to think about a father who's adopted us into his family to make us brothers and sisters, that he, we are a family now. And it says this, and this is his commandment, the father, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we come into the family and love one another just as he has commanded us. His desire is that we believe in Jesus, enter into the family of Jesus, and then love one another like Jesus has loved us. But how do we do that? What does it look like to be a family? Again, in a room like this, um, I know that my family was not a great family growing up. I grew up with a father who was an alcoholic. I grew up with a mother who uh, had, had just a brutal life story, uh, so much so that she shut down emotionally at a very early age due to the abuse and insane stuff she saw as a kid. Uh, and so I was kind of on my own early. I had to figure stuff out on my own. And so when I, when I hear the idea that church is a family, maybe some of you guys can, can, can connect with this, it might not sound like good news. But what I want to say is, is that um, the good news is, is what I'm going to talk about today is that God instructs us how to live life together how to be a community where you are known and loved and supported. One of the things I've had to come to terms with recently is how how much we we aren't supported by our family of origin, uh, my wife and I. 
and, 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 and as the gospel changes us, we don't need to get bitter or angry at our parents. We just need to go, God, we need this from you. We, we need you to be the father. And so he's going to show us how to be a good family. All right, so, so uh, if you guys have Bibles again, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. And, uh, and so and I'm going to unpack just, just four verses, and I want to talk about how to be a healthy family. Okay, three aspects of a safe or of a healthy family. Okay, um, sorry, sorry. Galatians five, verse twenty-five. Okay, I'll go ahead and read. It says, "If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with uh, the Spirit." Now, Galatians is a book written about a church that started as a church that was centered on the message of Jesus. Uh, Paul got sick. Uh, he had some sort of uh, illness or ailment, and uh, he was in what is now modern-day Turkey, Galatia. And while he was there, this is classic the Apostle Paul. He's like, I'm here, kind of a road stop, uh, kind of a pit stop. It's like, you're on your way to Vegas. You're like, we're in Barstow. We'll plant a church in this Del Taco right now. Um, he was on his way to somewhere else. And he's like, well, I'm here. He got sick. Plans were changed. He's like, you know what? I might as well preach the gospel, make disciples. He did that. Uh, and the church got off to a good start. And, um, and then the church drifted. Some guys came in after Paul uh, who had the Jewish law. And they said, um, it's, it's not enough to just believe in Jesus and receive his righteousness and the identity that he gives and him making you right with God. Uh, you believe that, but then you also need to obey the Old Testament. Um, you, you need to obey the, you need to obey the Sabbath and you need to, uh, you know, do, do a lot of the stuff in the first five books of the old Testament, um, including getting circumcised as adults. If you were a Gentile, it had been circumcised before scholars call this group, the circumcision party, which is a party I don't want to go to. Uh, and they were real killjoys to come in and they took grace and they made it religion. And, and so Paul instructs them on how to be a healthy church community that reflects the gospel in a watching world again. And by gospel, a simple definition of the gospel I want to use today that I'll keep coming back to is one you've probably heard before from a guy named uh, Tim Keller in New York City. And he says this, uh, he says, you are so wicked that Jesus had to die for you. And at the same time, you are so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. You are so wicked that Jesus had to die for you. And at the same time, in the same moment, you're so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you, that the cross shows you how broken you are and how much God loves you in spite of your brokenness. And how there's nothing that's too broken to run away with, okay? So Galatians 5.25, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. What Paul is saying is, if you're keeping in step with the Spirit in the context of Galatians, you're someone who's been restored to a new relationship with God through what Jesus did on the cross. And you're falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus and and you desire him by experiencing his love for you in the gospel. So, So through the rest of this text, Paul is saying, if you're led by the Spirit, if you're falling in love with Jesus through grace, not through religion, here is what your church should look like. Because what we believe about God impacts the way we treat one another. And since this church had abandoned grace, I can't earn this. I don't deserve this. They moved into, I have to earn and deserve it. Uh, That makes you really insecure. You start comparing yourself and looking around because you don't know how you stack up. And so religion always makes us insecure. Religion always makes us people. And by religion, I mean uh, thinking that you earn your way to God by obeying rules makes you want to change the rules which is what our culture does, or it makes you want to um, uh, tear others down. I kind of hope God grades on a curve. And in religious communities where people have to create their own identity, they're not in safe places. And so three aspects of a, of a healthy Jesus-centered church family, okay? Three things. One is uh, it should be a safe family. Two, it should be a restorative family. And three, it should be a supportive family. 
a safe family, a restorative family, and a supportive family. And by safe, I don't mean physically safe. Hopefully it's that. I know that we have brothers and sisters all around the world who are not physically safe. I'm going to be going to Northern Africa in about three weeks to um, work with a team. Uh, you guys met them. They were here, Kai and Kyle. Um, and and there's rather that they won't always have physical safety in the context they're in. But what I'm talking about is spiritual and emotional safety. And we see this in 526, the next verse. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This verse indicates that our relationships with others is determined by our view of ourselves. These are things that happen when we're functioning in a religious performance with God. When we think we need to keep rules to earn God's love or that our identity is defined by our spiritual performance or what we accomplish at work or in our relationships or the balance of our bank account and investments, we find our identity in our performance. And it was, by the way, religious people do this and non-religious people do this. Finding identity outside of God in your performance. We start to do two awful things. We either become conceited or provoking. Conceited, uh, we become this way because we're convinced not only that, our perf- that we're performing better than others, but that our performance makes us better than others. The Greek word here denotes someone that has an opinion about his or herself that is false in relation to God, either inflated or deflated. I think this is important. I think often when we hear the word conceited, uh, we think uh, just proud, like you think you're better than other people. Uh, but, 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 but in the context of Galatians, it's, it's either inflated or deflated. It's just a false view of self, either in, inferior or superior. When we have a false view of ourselves, either inflated or deflated, we end up either doing one of two things that he says. So he says, don't be, don't be conceited, because if you're conceited, you'll do one of two things. You'll provoke one another or you'll envy one another. And if provoking and envying are going on, you cannot be a safe family. Okay, so I'll go through these. Provoking. Provoking in Greek, it means to challenge someone to a contest. Literally. We believe ourselves to be better and we feel the need to prove it. Again, the person who builds their identity on their performance in life or their accomplishments instead of the gospel always demands recognition for their good performance. The flesh always wants to be acknowledged. You never want to give glory to Jesus. You want to give glory to yourself. And so you're like, I'll serve the church. Even, right, I'll serve the people at church as long as I'm getting props and attaboys or attagirls. As long as Tom's posting on Instagram, best volunteer in the world, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Failing to ground our identity in the Father's unconditional love for us in Jesus, that we're wicked yet loved, we're forced to value ourselves through our performance and to validate that as being good. We have to provoke or challenge others. This is is provoking. Check me out. You're looking for attention. You're constantly trying to one-up people. You do good things to impress people. Maybe it's with, uh, it's religious stuff. It's, it's at church, it's worship stuff, right? And you walk in and you go, uh, and you look around and you see some people and they're like, woo, they're just, they're, you know, kind of move their hands around. You're like, oh, that's too much. That's too much for church. And then you see other people and their hands are in their pocket. You're like, that's not enough. And you're the standard for the right worship, right? Like you're passionate enough without being awkward. Got that balance down, self-righteousness. Maybe it's material things you find you're valuing that you perform through, through the stuff that you have. One pastor said that as a culture, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Going to debt on a car uh, we don't need. 
Maybe it's beauty or good looks. Your performance is in your beauty. You, you, don't, you work out to impress people, not to be healthy, right? So your Instagram's like, yo, check out my dope Nikes while I squat with these amazing legs, which is a weird trend. Like, I just think about our grandparents, like, like the way we brag about working out, it's just so strange, probably. And then through the seasons of life, we, we have a chance to provoke people every step of the way. If we're living a life to make ourselves the main point, instead of Jesus, we have opportunities to find identity at every stage of, of our life. So in, uh, in singleness, we can make it about us. Engagements, we can, we, we can make it about us, right? We, 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 um, so for you, let's say you, you, you're single, you get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, then you start rubbing that in everyone's faces, uh, the other single people uh, who, who, who don't have someone. Or let's say you get engaged, right? Engagement used to be a moment where a man uh, typically would let a woman know he wanted to spend the rest of his life with her. And the gravity of that commitment is what made it special the rest of your life with me? Now with social media, every proposal is documented and they have become competitive. One guy proposes in front of a, a, a skyline, beautiful skyline. Another guy proposes on top of a skyscraper in the middle of the skyline, rooftop. Another guy's got a plane ride overlooking, right? Skyline. One guy jumps out of the red, <laughs> one guy <laughs> jumps out of his spaceship, right? Red Bull Stratos, 120,000 feet in the air while reciting a poem he wrote for her, right? It gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Uh, this, was some, this was summed up by my dad talking to my sister about her potential proposal. And he said, I would just give up if I were you guys. I would have no idea how to propose nowadays. And then after the engagement, there's the engagement photos, which used to be generally like, you would kind of look at them, maybe at an album. I don't even know if engagement photos was a thing 30 years ago. Um, there's more wedding photos, but engagement photos, and you gotta post them and you got, man, they gotta be good, right? And you're looking around, man, how do these stack up? to other people's commitments to one another in a photographic setting. And then there's the wedding, which is a chance to celebrate God as, as the creator of marriage and, and, and your spouse that God has brought you to. But, but again, we gotta make it, it's, it's not really about God, it's about us. And, and, and weddings are getting more and more and more expensive and they become more and more self-focused, not God-focused in the weddings. I had a, a friend of mine does really high-end uh, wedding photography, like like $40,000 a job, uh, videography, photography, celebrities and stuff like that. Uh, I can't even say some of the names, but, uh, but, but he, 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 was <laughs> he was doing a, a wedding recently and there was a, a lead singer of a well-known band you would know and the guy walked down the aisle with his shirt off, pouring champagne on himself, saying, lick it off. Uh, weird, yeah, weird. That weddings are more and more about, uh, and that guy's out of control, obviously, but, but man, it's like, it's about us, it's about us, it's about us, it's about us, it's about us. Then you get into maternity photos, right? You get pregnant, and how you announce the birth has to be so dope, right? What, what, what's your Instagram plan for the birth announcement? It used to be enough to be like, a child, a miracle, a child has been conceived in the womb of this woman, and, uh, and, and I did it, and, uh, and, 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 and we want to welcome this child in the world, and we're so excited to have children, our family. This, this is an eternal soul. It's going to be around. And, and, and it's, just, it's like, oh, no, but, but man, how you post it on Instagram. And then, yeah, the maternity photos, how you look as a pregnant person. And how do you look at someone standing there? And then it's even weirder to me, birthing plants. It's fine to have them. Why do we all need to know what everyone's birthing plans are? Why, do they, why is my way of pushing a human out of my body so much better than yours? Oh, you're not going to do a natural birth? Oh, uh, okay. 
I just, I love my kids. I didn't, I didn't know you, you didn't love your kids. And then, and then the baby's born, you know, and then, and then, and then the baby's born and, and then it's competitive. Like whose baby cries the, late, the least? Oh, that's crazy. Your baby cries. Our little Rory never cries. He actually, uh, I mean, he's only two months old, but he values sleep. He actually told us recently, uh, and it's crazy, he's talking, two months old, and, and he looked up, said, look up, it was about 6.30, said, mom and dad, I value sleep, and I value you as parents, and I value your relationship with one another. And so every night around six, I should go to bed. So I'm not cranky, and so you can spend time together, mom and dad. It's a little, he's a British baby. It's a cute accent too for a two-month-old. Right, that's provoking. Everything in my life, I do it better than you. Check out my car. Check out my workout regimen. Check out my birthing plan. Check out my wedding. Check out my husband. Don't check out my husband too much, but I want you to kind of secretly to think he's awesome because he's with me, but it's weird. It's so weird. When we don't find our identity in Jesus, we are weird, freaky, performance-driven people. It's, it's literally sick. And so we either, if, if we have this false view of ourself that we have to perform for identity, we'll be conceited and then we'll provoke one another or the flip side of this, we will envy one another. On the other hand, filling to ground our identity in who Jesus says we are, accepted and adored, even though we're bad, we succumb to feelings of defeat and adequacy and not measuring up. We feel less than, not better than. And so we envy Another word for this you guys are probably pretty familiar with is just we're jealous. We become this way when we are convinced not only that we are performing worse than others, it's the opposite of provoking, but that, but that performing worse makes us worse than others. We're defined by this. Conceit, provoking, uh, sorry. Um, so with jealousy, with, with, uh, with envy, you scour your Instagram, not provoking, but growing angrier at every picture and post you see because you're jealous and you're envious. Someone posts, uh, and again, I don't know why we do this also, but someone posts a picture of a Bible with a coffee cup. They're like, I met with Jesus today. He invented pour over and he wrote the word. <laughs> He's beautiful, and, right? And you're like, oh, thanks. Uh, glad God talks to you. I suck at reading the Bible. Someone posts, oh, I got a new car. I'm so glad you got a new car. Your kid is so freaking cute. I might never have kids, but man, great. Oh, you got another boyfriend that you'll probably break up with because of your commitment issues. And I'd kill for one of the last four guys you dated. You don't, you don't comment that on the, you don't usually type that, it's more eternal. Oh, you graduated law school, got a promotion, right? I see this so often in churches. Uh, and where I see it really clearly is, is people's inability to mourn with people who they feel have it better. This is where jealousy and envy gets really gross. So there's someone who, whose marriage is in trouble and it's in a tough spot. And, and this can be really hard or, you know, for a single person to endure complaints about a marriage. Or a parent complaining about how hard, kids, how hard their kids are and you feel like you can't conceive. Or my personal favorite lately, I walk in a lot as a pastor, is someone better off than you financially is facing a tough financial decision where they will still be better off than you in the worst case scenario. <laughs> They're sharing it with you like, oh my gosh. They're, wor they're worrying about basically meeting a financial goal you'll never attain a couple of years later than they thought. And so if you struggle with jealousy, you'll often feel um, like it's hard to love people who you assume have it better. 
And by the way, again, if we're not defined by our performance or, or what we have, or, th then we don't have to actually be jealous. It sounds crazy, but it's true. We're free. We have an identity in Jesus. But if you struggle with jealousy, you'll often feel rejected or unliked, but not totally be sure why. This is where we see things like people who spread rumors and gossip to tear others down because you don't get your identity in Jesus. And here's what I mean by identity in Jesus. Because God loves me, I don't need to worry about what other people think of me. And, and, and again, not in a uh, kind of Tupac, me against the world, like I don't care about anybody, but in a, I, I love you, but what you think of me doesn't define me. I'm defined by another. So I mean by, by your identity being Jesus and not what other people think of you. And so often the way we treat people is directly related to how we view ourselves. Do we find our identity in Jesus and Christ and crucified? In the gospel, do we find our identity in us and what we do? Rather than being motivated by God's love and the unity and love that the gospel creates among us, kind of a religious performance identity mot motivates us through feelings of either inferiority or superiority, which leads to an unsafe, insecure environment where everyone needs to tear others down or one-up one another to feel good about themselves. And I don't know about you, coming from a dysfunctional family, I don't need a second one of these. I don't want to have to compete with people. I don't want to have to tear others down. I don't want to have to worry constantly that people are tearing me down. Again, in light of these two gospel truths, as Tim Keller says, and I'm more wicked than I ever dared believe, and I'm more loved and accepted at the same time, our attitude towards people should no longer be, I am better than you and I'll prove it, or I'm worse than you and I resent you for it. But it could actually be, I am unworthy and yet precious to God, and so are you, brother or sister. We don't need to tear people down we don't need to gossip about people. We won't need to judge people. We won't need to look down on others. We'll actually be able to celebrate and enjoy our fellow brothers and sisters for whom Jesus died. We can be so secure in Jesus' love that we're free from the comparison game, free from jealousy, that we can root for others instead of competing with them for acceptance and value. I want you to close your eyes for a second. No one's going to steal your purse. Relax. I just want you to imagine for a second. Imagine if you were completely free from comparing and competing with people. Imagine you didn't have to check in with others' successes and failures to know how much you were worth or how you were doing in life. Imagine your beauty wasn't defined by how you look compared to others. Imagine not feeling like you have to impress people because Jesus is already impressed with you. Now I want you to imagine a whole community of people who live life that way. That is a beautiful, safe church that only Jesus can create through his gospel. You guys can open your eyes. Let's be this kind of community. So, so a, a healthy church family is a safe family um, that's not provoking envying. What else is it? It's a restorative family. Next verse, Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, a transgression is kind of a life-dominating sin, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Now, kind of transgression, again, this is not a one-time sin. This is not someone who is aware of their sin and working with Jesus on it and pursuing help. That would be all of us. Or First John says you're a liar. We all sin. We all are in need of saving constantly. We all in need of grace. Sin hunters, right? Put, put your sin gun away. Chill out. 
This is a big sin issue um, that they are either unrepentant of or they're unaware of. It's a blind spot they don't realize they have. I, um, I remember one time I went to a birthday party. There was this woman in my life who was, uh, she was in her um, probably early 50s at this point. It was about 10 years ago. And she was a woman that I knew about 15 years before when I was a little kid in like a youth ministry type setting. She had cared for me and I reconnected with her. And she actually prayed for me to come to know Jesus. I got, started, I got saved and I'm a pastor and it was really cool. And I, and I went to her birthday party and her birthday party, when Jesus says, um, when you throw a party, throw this kind of party, invite the poor and the weak and the kind of the disheveled and the broken and the blind and the sick. Um, this woman had given her life to caring for and loving broken, hurting people. And so her, her birthday was a lot of broken, hurting people. She was a woman whose couch was constantly open. Uh, and, and she's just this amazing woman. But there were some very difficult people there. And I remember we were at one of the tables, and there was this, uh, I saw this gal that worked at the church I, I, I um, worked at at the time, and I didn't, I didn't know she knew the same woman. And she said, yeah, she's amazing. And, uh, and, then, and then another uh, older woman sat down in uh, probably her 50s with uh, her son, who's probably like 12. And, uh, and so we had a friend, her friend, our friend's name was Allie. And, uh, and so immediately this, uh, this mom goes, um, Hey, uh, what's your name? She goes, Allie. She goes, Allie, are you single by any chance? Just met her. And Allie, you know, Allie's like 25. She's like, yeah, yeah. She's like, that's great. I have a son. You should date him. And she's like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. I'm not really like trying, right? looking right. She's like, no, 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 no. She's like, are you a Christian? She's like, yeah. And she's like, then you're supposed to get married. You're supposed to be looking. And my son, he's a Christian Uh, and stuff. And she goes, you know what? Let me just show you a picture of him, okay? And she, and, she, and she takes her phone out. This is all within like the first five minutes. She takes her phone out. And she's like, what do you think? Is he handsome? And I got to be honest, he's a pretty average looking guy. I mean, it was, it's a five, maybe six out of 10. I, it's hard to tell a mom, you know, face only a mother could love type situation. And, uh, and now he's just really sweet. She's like, oh man, you know, he looks, he looks nice. That's, that's great. He's your son. And she's like, um, just so you know, he makes a lot of money. She's like, oh my God. She's like, you know what? She's like, are you, she's like, can I give you his number? She's like, no. She's like, no, no, just take it. Trust me, just take it. And, uh, and, and the, the son's like, mom, this is so awkward, like, you know, saying, and she's like, no, it's not awkward. It's not awkward. And, and she hands him the, uh, she, she hands out the number. And I was like, honestly, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I'm not interested. And she's like, no, no, you just need to talk to, hold on. Let me call him. Let me call him. She pulls her phone out and she calls, she calls, uh, and, and, uh, and it goes to voicemail. And she goes, uh, no, no, she says, uh, she, she holds the phone out and it's ringing and ringing and ringing. It's on speaker. And then uh, it goes to voicemail. She's like, say something, say something, say something. I just want you to imagine you're an introvert uh, who does not want to process your singleness with an overbearing stranger. And so finally I grabbed the phone and I was like, hey, Tyler, uh, it's me, Allie. Uh, anyways, I forget, I said something silly and just like kind of ended it. And it was awkward. And then like, I think she literally went and cried. And then this lady was like, I don't know why that girl made that so awkward. <laughs> And uh, my wife like was very gently was like, ah, you know, and they got into it a little bit. And, and now here's the thing, as ridiculous as that woman was in that moment, um, I think very few people had loved her enough to tell her the truth about how she impacted other people. I don't think she thought she was annoying or overbearing. Uh, the Bible says to bear with one another in Colossians. And I love that because um, it presupposes that people at church are going to annoy you, get on your nerves, not just sin against you, but just annoy you. And bother you. Do you know, by the way, that you're someone's bear? 
you, we all think like, man, I'm just dope to be around. I walk in a room, people love it. Uh, and, and, you know, hey, I'm here. Um, or we're an introvert and we're like, hey, I'm, I'm here, but I'm gonna be cool and, and, you know, off to the side. And people are gonna be like wondering what I'm thinking because I'm so cool and quiet in the corner. Um, I see you, Raquel. And, uh, and, uh, and actually we're like, people are like, they really struggle with us because of our sin and because of our differences and all that stuff. And, um, and, and no one had loved her enough to say like, hey, you got some blind spots. You're in a bad, uh, you're, you're really, now socially, she needed like, here's that act socially. Spiritually, it's the same way. We're often ignorant of how we impact other people, the way we hurt people, the way we don't love people, the way we make people feel. And, 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 and Paul says uh, to restore with a spirit of gentleness. That when we, we want to be restored, if we want to help people grow, um, uh, this is the most cliche thing in the world. It's the most true thing in the world um, that you can come to Jesus just as you are, but Jesus doesn't want you to just stay just as you are. That you're saved in Jesus, but then he wants to take you by the hand and, and make you, to walk you into wholeness, walk you into looking like him, the fullness of Jesus. And so uh, he wants to make you more loving and more kind and more pure, but it's a process. Um, he wants to restore us, which is a great name for a church. And Paul says to restore with a spirit of gentleness. Now, the Greek word for restore here is a word that means uh, to set right. It's the same word used for doctors who are resetting a broken bone. And this is a helpful word for us because it indicates that the goal of confronting someone about their sin is healing, not punishment. Again, imagine you go to a doctor and you've got a broken bone and he goes, man, I see this, this broken bone is off. Uh, this is your fault, actually. You shouldn't have been riding your motorcycle so fast. And I'm going to make you pay for it. And he, he takes out a hammer and he smashes it from two to eight pieces. Lesson learned. Uh, or, or imagine uh, you show up to the doctor and, and, and you show him the bone and it's broken and he doesn't hit it or anything. He just goes, man, you have a broken bone? That's so weird. I never have broken bones. <laughs> what are you even doing here? He just judges you. Or imagine you go, I've got this broken bone. And then he goes, I don't think it's broken. I think it's fine. You can keep walking on this. It's not going to ruin your life or anything. That would be a terrible doctor. We need to do the restoring work humbly and gently and directly. Humbly, being careful. Again, the reason why we need to be gentle in the way that we confront is that on your best day, you are more like the person you're confronting than you are like Jesus. You know what it's like to be tempted. You know what it's like to, to be angry. You know what it's like to, to lust. You know what it's like to assume the worst of others. You know what it's like to gossip. You know what it's like to, to lie. You know what it's like to covet. You yourself have blind spots. And, and we know that because he says... <laughs> Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted that you're not above the thing that you're even confronting them in. You may need to be confronted for the same thing the next day. This is a one another. Guys, we should be confronting each other, restoring one another. I, uh, and again, you gotta be ready for that. I, uh, I, we had a girl, I love this. We had a girl in our church for a while and uh, she didn't move to New York, but, but while she was with us uh, for about two years, about a year in, she said, I, it's crazy. In this church, I've never felt more loved and more called out on my crap at the same time. I've never felt more loved in a community and I knew I belonged, and I've never felt more challenged. And normally, a lot of us go, if you challenge me, I'm out of here. Don't, don't challenge the way my marriage is going, or my purity is going, or my, my anger, or whatever it is. But we need, to be able to, we need to be able to receive correction. 
So this is huge. Are you open to be restored? You're going to sin, but are you going to receive the help you need, the grace you need when you need it? Are you going to be open to it? Um, and it's so important that, that, that when someone um, comes to us, again, they shouldn't be beating you up. They, should, they shouldn't be coming down on you. They should be coming alongside you and saying, hey, I, I, man, when I'm angry at my wife, this is what happens. And I feel like I might be noticing this with you. Or when I'm really insecure, I tend to gossip. Or when I, whatever it is, you're not like, you gossip? What's wrong with you? You get frustrated with your wife, you animal, right? No, it's, 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 it's man, I know what it's like. It's gentle. And can I help you with this? Um, are, are you open to receiving that, though? A lot of times we get really caught up in the way someone confronts us than the actual confrontation. I literally know of a guy who was cheating on his wife, and a guy confronted him about it, and he got really upset about the way he was confronted. The guy was so self-righteous. The way it's like, bro, you're, you're cheating on your wife, right? We, we, we can work on uh, his. And the guy wasn't abrasive, by the way. It just was he felt like he didn't know him enough to have that conversation. Again, if our identity's in the gospel, we shouldn't be offended. Uh, but, 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 but for those of us who are going to confront someone, helpful principle, when dealing with someone caught in a sin, we must always remember the first part of the gospel for ourselves and the second part of the gospel for the other party. Again, using this definition, this Tim Keller definition, that you're so wicked, Jesus had to die for you, but you're so dearly loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. We need to remember the first part of the gospel for us, that apart from Jesus, we would deserve hell, and that like Paul, just like Paul said about himself, we're the worst sinner we know because we know all of our sin. We are not better than them. When we go to confront, we need to remember, I'm so bad Jesus had to die for me. And then we need to remember the second part of the gospel for them. Through Jesus, this brother or sister that is caught in sin is more loved than I could ever dream of. They are the beloved, beautiful, blood-bought children of God. And this is so crucial. Again, I've, done, I've done a lot of ministry in, uh, in Mexico and in South Africa where there's unfortunately uh, too often really inadequate medical care for too many people. And there are people who have permanent limps for the rest of their lives because a bone wasn't reset the proper way. And you know what? Inside and outside the church all over the world are people who had some religious Christian try to reset them spiritually, but did it in a self-righteous, judgmental way. And now they are damaged spiritually and emotionally as a result. So it's so important that we do this gently. But again, as dangerous, and res- as dangerous as restoring in a way that isn't gentle is, what's also dangerous is not restoring at all. You see someone moving. I-, I think about the marriages that could have been saved, the addictions that could have been avoided if someone was willing to have a conversation. Hey, bro, like, when you hang out, you-, you have like three, four, five beers. That's kind of picked up recently. Like, are, are you okay? Hey, I've noticed you, uh, you and your husband like, are-, are not in a good spot, it seems like. I don't know, but it seems like you're really cutting towards each other. Or, bro, it seems like you're really close to this girl you work with that's not your wife. Is there, any, is there an attraction there? Is, is this a safe space for you to be? If people could have had those conversations earlier, man, the pain that could be avoided, nothing's less loving than to see someone you see moving in a bad direction and not talking to them because it would be awkward. Again, it's like a doctor who sees you have cancer and goes, I don't want to ruin his day. Stage three, there's time. I've seen this pattern in my life recently that I tend to, um, I mean, I hate this. Um, I, I find that often if, if someone's hurt me, maybe twice, uh, that I would often just start to pull away. I wouldn't attack them. I wouldn't be a jerk. I would just kind of slowly, kind of Irish goodbye, just kind of pull away. And uh, often I think leave people confused. I look, think about people that, that, I, that I love deeply. 
And I'm embarrassed to say that, that I, I wasn't even totally aware that I was doing it until someone called me out on it. And again, the restorative piece. But man, it's, it's a failure to love, to go, man, I see this in you. It's impacting me. It's impacting others. We want to help you. And by the way, we all need this. This isn't like we all gang up on someone. This is all of us together. Um, it's safe to be a sinner in this church. You are, we're all sinners. But are you owning your sin? Are you willing to, you want to be set free from it. You're fighting it. You're not just going, this is who I am. I have affairs. This is who I am. I don't give to the church and I cheat on my taxes. This is who I am. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's no, I want help. It's the hospital, I'm, I'm sick and I need help. Right? We, it's, you can't have a hospital if it's like, oh, you're sick? Why are you here? No, this is where we're here to get, to get better together. But on the flip side of that, if, if someone was in a hospital and they're like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not taking your medicine. I'm fine. Well, why are, you, why are you taking up that bed then? I mean, there are people who, no, it's fine. I'm good, right? That's people who walk around church and they don't want to own their sin. And so I can't help you if you don't, if you don't want grace. So we want to be a, a safe community and we want to be a restorative community. And the last thing we want to be is a supportive community. Verse three through five, it says, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Um, the big idea here is, is this idea of um, verse three, bearing one of those burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. And the law of Christ really is, it's like serving one another in the pattern of Jesus, willing to get under the weight of a situation with someone and being willing to suffer for them in the way that the law of Christ, we see what Jesus does. Again, um, this idea of getting under the weight of something with someone, when we go through a tough time in life, we need people to get under it with us to be a healthy family, a supportive family. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this. I recently, our church had to um, move a lot of equipment around at our church. And uh, there was a really heavy, like, dresser thing. And, uh, and, and so it was really, really heavy. And so I got three dudes to help me out. And again, um, in having three dudes help me lift it, it did not get lighter. But it felt lighter because it was four of us. It didn't drop in weight. Does that make sense? But, but it felt lighter. In the same way in community, when, when financial crisis hits and when personal crisis hits and when you're fighting for your life with sin or with a health issue or a family situation, you feel like, I don't know what to do. I need help, man. We want to support one another. We want to bear each other's burdens. Will you let people in to help you when you're struggling with anything? There's this lie in America that we're self-sufficient individuals. And it's like kind of to a point, but that's not what this book says to be. We're not called to be these independent people who don't need each other, that we're called to be interdependent. We lean on each other. We support each other. And there are little things that, that people need to bear their own load, but there are other things that we need to bear. Burden. I, one of the things I hate when people say, it's just heresy to me because it, it, it disagrees with the Bible, is I don't want to be a burden. No, I'm commanded to bear your burden. You're keeping me from obeying Jesus, you jerk. Now let me help you move or whatever it is. Being willing to suffer with someone, fulfilling the law of Christ is serving really practically. It means listening to someone. It means practically uh, giving your resources, your time, your emotional energy, your money. We have people in our church who have opened up their homes for two or three months at a time when someone's going through a tough time. Again, if we're a family, that's not a weird thing. They don't charge them rent because they're going through a tough time. And because they're family, they can have the hard conversations. Hey, you've been here three months. Are you looking for a job? Like you would with a brother or sister. 
There's this, this uh, we've, I, I was given, a, I was given a, I, there's a car out there. It's right there. It's a white Subaru. Uh, it was given to me uh, by someone in our church, uh, another, uh, another guy in our church. And, and about six years ago, when we decided to plant a church, uh, we, um, we had walked away from a ton of money um, to plant the church. We're going to raise half our salary, what it would have been. And someone else gave us a car. We've been given two cars. Now, I'm not saying if you, you go into this, you're going to be given cars, but, but, but that's normal in our church. Uh, Raquel was given a car. Uh, again, like, I, I hate saying because I'm the pastor and stuff, but I wasn't the pastor when I got that other one. I was a random guy at this one church. And a guy gave me a car, and he, he said, um, I was like, thank you so I'm in tears. He heard about from someone else that we, we, were, we were having a second baby and we had a two-door Sunfire uh, and it was just crazy. And he had a Chevy Trailblazer and uh, that he could have sold and stuff. And he was actually getting ready to go to China. He could have used the money himself. And I said, thank you so much. Uh, as a missionary, I said, thank you so much. for." He said, don't thank me. I didn't even want to give you the car. Jesus told me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a supportive community where we bear each other's burdens. So some of you guys, you need to let people bear your burdens. You can't always be the one who's, who's like the workhorse holding it together for everyone else. But some of, you guys need to, uh, some of you guys need to bear burdens. So you guys are immature and you're just like, oh, carry my backpack, carry my backpack, carry my backpack. And then others are like, man, I could be dying. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm like the Iron Man, I'm pulling the car. It's like, no, 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 no. There are big loads that are, that are, <laughs> that are too much. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking about body humor. Sorry. Uh, Actually, it sounds even worse than I meant it to. Oh, man. All right. Uh, <laughs> sorry, not like a, a big poop, but a big poop. We're family, guys. So in closing, I'll just say this. There's a lot more I could say. Uh, you don't want me to. Uh, a Jesus-centered family is a safe family. It's a restorative family, and it's a supportive family. Jesus actually transforms people in community. This is the kind of church you can be, by the way. This would be a dope church to be a part of we saw each other's needs and we, and we met them and, and, and when someone was suffering, we, we were there to help them. And, when so, and, and, and you know, when you're in a bad spot, the people love you enough to call you out of it, to, to pull you into wholeness. And that when you confess that you're a mess, people don't have to, aren't going to beat you up over it if you're trying to, to grow change. And in a place where you don't have to compete with people, it's a safe, restorative, supportive community. It's safe because we, we're secure in the identity Jesus gave us. We don't need to compete or tear others down. A community that's restoring because Jesus restored us to, to God gently and sacrificially through the cross. A community that's supportive and bears burdens because Jesus bore our ultimate burden on the cross. A community that welcomes people in, even people who aren't like us, because Jesus welcomed us in, even though we couldn't be more different than him. So in closing, I'll call the worship band up. I just want to ask these application questions. The first one is this. Is there anyone in this room you need to apologize to or ask for forgiveness from or clarify something with? Not in a self-righteous way, but in a, man, I just want to, I feel like I might have hurt your feelings, right? I don't know if you ever had those moments. Tom, when we first planted Uptown, he had this uh, prophetic picture of unity. And it was kind of like the end of like an episode of 24 where there's like a bomb and there's like two minutes and there's a guy that like knows, uh, he's like a bomb expert and he's got the wires and they're trying to uncross them and all that. And, 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 and the picture Tom had was that maintaining unity in the church is something you have to do very carefully. That when you're, un- when you're undetonating a bomb, you're not gonna do it in a really haphazard way. Like, oh, I wonder what red does or yellow does or, you know. It's not like a kid discovering Crayolas. It's, 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 detailed and intentional, and, um, and, and, and it's careful. So it's like, if, if this might be crazy, I'm going to follow up on it, right? If I might have offended someone, go, oh, I feel like I said this one the other day, and I feel like I probably offended them, to have the maturity to say, I'm sorry, 
or to go, hey, I, I just want to say, man, sorry if this, if this did offend you. Could you do a relationship wellness check where you just go, hey, man, I feel like it's kind of weird with us. I don't know why. Could just be me. Is there someone you need to gently, lovingly, and directly confront? Not like you're better than them because you're a sinner too. Is there someone in this church family you need to support? Could be emotionally, could be financially. And, and even supporting financially, I'm not saying you're paying all their bills, but, but helping pay some of their bills maybe. Do you need to ask someone else for support? Emotional, financial, spiritual? And then the last question is, do you need to take a next step to get plugged in here? joining uh, a gospel community coming up here, joining a serve team, uh, kids ministry. As you guys have, God's gonna bring you people on positive on your launch day. We're, we're pumped, we're gonna be here. Uptown's canceling gathering. We're gonna have prayer brunches to pray for this church and then we'll probably send quite a few people here to serve. Um, and signing up to serve the people that God's gonna bring to build this beautiful family that Jesus died to create. So I'm gonna hand over to Tom and we'll go into your response time. Thanks, bro. Will you guys bow your heads just for a moment? And before we go into response time, I want you to imagine with me for a moment. I'm a dreamer, so just bear with me, okay? But in your mind's eye, I just want you to picture the community that Paul is describing here in Galatians, that Andy's just preached on, imagine what it would be like to not just belong to a community like that, but to witness people from not just your neighborhood or your city or your state, but from the entire planet be ushered in and welcomed into a community like that. Like, what would that feel like? It's very easy to stay up in the clouds, like mentally, and think about concepts. But what would be the day-to-day ramifications of that? And how would that affect you personally? I'm going to read something to you with your eyes closed, just... Just focus. We're not being overly spiritual. We're just trying to minimize distraction right now, okay? I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 2. God has poured out his spirit, and men and women are becoming aware supernaturally of the love of God through Jesus, and it's uniting them. This is what happens, okay? This is the early church. This is right after Jesus' ascension. And they, the church, The followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the gospel. And they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's the deep relationships. That's being fully known, yet fully loved. All your scars, all your junk, but still being loved through that. They devoted themselves to those things. And to the breaking of bread, that's both eating together and communion, and to the prayers. Check this out. That's what they devoted themselves to. Very simple. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common because I didn't mean they that doesn't mean that they they, they they like rooted for the same sports teams and 
when it says all things in common, it means that the foundation of their life was Jesus. Check this out. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was absolutely no need in that community because the moment a need arose, the people within that community said, There's, uh, uh, Jason has a need. I'm selling this to make sure that, and then, okay, now I sold that, so there's a need, and then there's just this beautiful collaborative care, and nobody, there was no need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes every day, right, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That's the people not in their community as well as in their community. And check out this last verse here. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just a community that's centered on Jesus that opens themselves up to receiving love from each other and contributes love to those around them, just that kind of a community is so crazy and so countercultural that it causes people to go, what is this? And you have favor with other people and then they experience the love of God through that. So I want you to understand that there's two things I really want you to like latch onto tonight and just process, okay? The first is this. What would it be like for you to experience that and contribute to that? How amazing would that be? And number two, how incredible would it be to see other men and women, not just in our city, but on, in our entire planet, experience that? Because what they're experiencing isn't an event, it's not a building, it's not a business. It's a community who's been transformed by the love of God. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have the communions available. We're going to respond um, in praise. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your timely word tonight. That as you are beginning to start blowing, you're beginning to start blowing wind into our sails into a new chapter. You're so good, you wouldn't let us leave into that next kind of chapter without reminding us of what it is that you're, you're what it is that you desire to actually see take place in this community. I thank you for your the protection that you have on each soul in this room, and what you desire to gift them. So God, I pray that you would start to fan a flame of desire into us to be known and to love others, to make ourselves vulnerable and to pursue and to watch you work in miraculous ways. It all starts with you pursuing us, Jesus. You leaving your throne to purchase a people for yourself. Would you make us into that people? Amen.